everyone and welcome to and the winner was my name is joel winstead and this is my journey i'm going to watch every best picture winner i started in 1927 with wings and each episode i'll be discussing a different best picture winner with a different guest with me returning again is seattle's own aaron white thank you for coming back aaron thanks man i'm glad to be here excited to talk about this one yeah, you were you were back with me on episode uh, three, remember? Oh yes, absolutely. That was a fantastic episode. Awesome conversation. <sighs> really good talk. Then uh, today we're talking about Mutiny on the Bounty, the eighth Best Picture winner. It's about the first mate Fletcher Christian who leads a revolt against his sadistic commander, Captain Bly, in this classic seafaring adventure based on the real life 1789 mutiny. Directed by Frank Lloyd and starring Clark Gable as the dashing and charismatic Fletcher Christian, Charles Lawton as the tyrant Captain Bly, and a name I will not get right, Franchot Tone as the midshipman caught in the middle. Uh, a great cast of characters that are almost immediately either loathed or loved. Uh, yep. I liked all the introductions. What did you think about the, the first part of the film, like getting on the ship? Yeah, I mean, I think that for me, I did not remember, I mean, I've seen this a few times throughout my life, but I certainly don't recall it de detailed by detail. And so I had forgotten that there was this opening act of going around and collecting crew members and, you know, mm -hmm. people being like ripped from their homes and their new wives and babies and taken onto the ship. So they're, they're being conscripted into naval service, yeah. many of them. There's... And I thought that was a really interesting and well-shot scene. You know, one of the guys is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not a sailor. And they rip his shirt open, and he's got this ship tattooed on his yeah. chest. And it's so very clear. And, of course, we get our first indication there of Captain Bly, too. We get the great – the, the question is like, well, who's the captain of this vessel? And they're like, Captain Bly. And they're like, no! <laughs> but, yeah. but I – reputation i loved it I, I loved i loved i loved i loved it i thought they were really well introduced you immediately understand the different motivations that are going to come into play and how obviously those are going to crash together because you have the sailor the the seaman uh, gosh why am i i'm an uh, ellison seaman ellison he's probably our like mm -hmm. fourth main character in a lot of ways mm -hmm. who is this young chap who gets taken away from his family for two years all of us i mean on a drop of a hat man like mm -hmm. no <laughs> no and uh then you have you know by him midshipman by him and you get his introduction franchot tone who is extremely excited and ambitious and just like it's his life's dream to carry on the family torch and be an officer in the Navy and sail the world and make this dictionary to Tahiti. And then you get Christian who is Clark Gable. Yeah. <laughs> and so like he is, he's like, nat I think you said at one point, he's naturally magnetic. You had told me or you mm -hmm. wrote it somewhere. And that's exactly what it is. Like you are introduced to him and he has that charisma from the get go, but you also see him being a reluctant follower of the captain like from moment one he's mm -hmm. kind of quietly you can tell he is internally questioning the things that he is seeing and witnessing while mm -hmm. also trying to i feel like be the 
good cop. You've got bad mm-hmm. cop, good cop. He's trying to be the good cop to the crew and be motivational and inspirational and kind of keep them, keep their spirits high uh, and because he knows what they're about to endure. And all that just kind of happens in that first, like, 10, 15 minutes. It's a kind of a whirlwind introduction for everybody. Yeah, but it, it, does, a, it does a great job of introducing the cast of characters, the main players, and also, like, their motivations, like, right from the beginning. Uh, you know the black hat you know the white hat you know you know what's going down i would say so far that this is this is by far the best acting i've seen uh of these best picture winners so far like as a whole like usually there's like one standout uh maybe two otherwise there's a bunch of you know people that have moved from silent film or from the stage and they're just really overacting clark gable is really magnetic he definitely has that stilted delivery, that like leading man kind of, you know, early thirties delivery. But Charles Lawton, the Cavs Captain Bly, is really doing some like almost like character work. Like he's doing a lot. And then as the as the film goes on, tone as midshipman uh, Byam really stands out amongst the cast of of standouts. And by the yeah. by the end. By the end, I was like, yeah, this that was my favorite. He was my favorite of the... I, of the I agree. Movie. For sure. He he definitely, I think, has the most nuance to him. And he's the one that goes on the biggest journey. He changes. The rest of them really don't change that much. Christian just becomes more and more and more angry and upset. But I don't think he ever... I mean, I feel like he always harbored those feelings and, and yeah. that opinion just, of Captain Bly. Yeah, because more yeah. resolute, but he, that's, you know, he was already that way. Exactly. And Byam yeah. becomes disenchanted with everything. You know, he loses his idealism of the world that he wanted to be such a strong part of, and he goes through falling in love, having a life with someone on the island, and then leaving it you know, to go back. So he is the one that does have to take the biggest journey of them all. And yeah, I think he definitely stood out to me. Did he win by the way? Or who? No, no it so only won best picture. It only won best picture it was nominated for eight awards, uh, including the three leading men, all three nominated for best leading actor. So Clark Gable, Charles Lawton and, uh, Francia tone. Um, none of them won the best picture. I think they probably all split the votes. Um, uh, Victor McLaughlin won for a movie called The Informer, won that year. But um, I mean, for my for my vote, it's it's Franchetto and his buy-in. He has the best arc, his impassioned speech, uh, and at the end during the um, mutiny hearing, is uh, caps it for sure. Definitely, yeah. I think that's for me. That's the best moment in the entire film. I mm-hmm. think, and it's. Always a good note when a movie can end strong because there's a lot of this that is not as engaging. It's kind of an interesting watch for me. So I was in the Navy. I was a career sailor, and I am someone who gravitates towards pretty much watching any movie that features ocean-bearing vessels because I just love it, right? I've, I've... been out there on the ocean i've gone on deployments i've had to say goodbye to my families i can relate to a lot i've had 
horrible captains. Obviously, nowhere near what we see in this movie. But I've I've experienced things then, so I think we we all kind of get a little kick out of seeing something that we can relate to, mm-hmm. and and it does that for me. Even though this is early, early, I don't even know what it was. The seventeen hundreds, like late seventeen hundreds, early eighteen hundreds mm-hmm. time 1780s, period, seventeen eighties, yeah, yeah, and it was an English ship, but. And obviously, I didn't sail. <laughs> I <laughs> was right. was under you know diesel power, but it, it was a really intriguing rewatch for me because I came to a realization, Joel, that you know as a critic, I tend to lean on my feelings. That's what my podcast is all about, mm-hmm. and I have been a big supporter of that for many years. I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter, just. It's how it makes you feel. And I still strongly support that. But I have gained a critical side more and more and more. And it's come off strong this year. And I think when it comes to classic films, I often don't love them when I go back and watch them. And I have learned that you have to kind of watch them differently. You can't expect the same level of engagement and emotional connection at all times to a movie with characters that are acting in a way that Hollywood had just started and they're acting in ways that people literally talked and reacted and and had we've changed right Mm -hmm. over decades and decades and so it's it's more difficult to kind of get that connection for me Mm. and so I've started to really pull back and and look at movies like this and try to say, okay, what is it about it that is special, and what would I have maybe thought of it more like in that time? And, you know, when you do that, this movie's strengths are undeniable, because it does have some lulls for me. It almost Mm -hmm. becomes torture porn, it feels like, or misery porn. Like, we see this guy berate and trash this crew... I mean, we knew from the opening minute we meet this guy, basically, how horrible of a person he is. And yet it's just one after the other after the other. And that can be tough, tough to get through. But the technical aspects of this, Mm -hmm. when you you kind of go, okay, wow, this was made in the 1930s, it's pretty unreal and impressive. The production value... Is kind of amazing. The the ships and it's the sails, the, all the the men working on like a working ship. There was like a whole montage getting the sh- uh, the bounty like up to sailing speed and all that. You can tell that director Frank Lloyd. He he. So he was won two best directing statues throughout his career. Um, he was nominated a total of five times. So like you can really tell he was a cut above the rest in. Um, of his time, his transitions, you know, the, the wipes and the, the different, the different things that, that you're not really seeing in movies before this, uh, Frank Lloyd definitely knew what he was doing and, and had a way of framing things and doing things that were, that were trailblazing for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think that the scenes at sea are extremely captivating and, some of the, you know, I don't mean when they're at sea and on the sh- deck, like, talking or having a, a dramatic moment, but things like 
the midshipmen being sent up the mast and mm-hmm. the ship listing and in a storm, those kind of moments are just so memorable because they are incredibly well shot. I mean, they really, for the time period, I can't think of a better depiction of not just seasickness, but the way in which a boat moves when it's on the waves and when it's in a storm. Yeah. And it just looks impeccable. I mean, for being a black and white movie. And I think the acting does carry it, of course, mm-hmm. as well. But yeah, production design across the whole film, I thought was just outstanding. Yeah, 100% agree. So we move forward. They, they get the bounty going. We get a lot of floggings. We get a lot of other various punishments. They really start to wear down you as a viewer. I get that it's meant to put you in like a position of empathy. So when the, the mutiny does happen, it's it has more dramatic weight. But en- enough is enough. You know, you, they, there is... I, the mutiny doesn't even happen until the last third of the film. One hour and 25 minutes. I paused and checked. And then you have like a little bit under 40 minutes, about 40 minutes left after that. Yeah, I actually made a note of how long it takes to get to there. And if I have criticisms, that's part of it, is I wanted a little more from Mutiny. The Mutiny itself is an outstanding scene. It is so well staged. It's exhilarating. And it lasts maybe five minutes. And I was like, this movie is, I I get it. I get it. And it probably goes back to the time period, budgets, like all sorts of factors play Mm -hmm. into that, of course. So I'm trying not to be too critical of it, but I definitely would have liked a little bit longer drawn out mutiny in progress because that was what we felt like we were building up to. And that was some of the best parts of the movie for me was watching... It go down. I would have liked a little more understanding too of why there were certain people on Captain Bly's side. I didn't get yeah. the idea outside of like the one kind of comic booky obvious <laughs> jerk who was on his side, the the, yeah, the yeah. little like skeevy guy. Yeah. Outside of him, I didn't really have the impression that anybody in the crew was on his side. But once they mutiny, it's like an it's like a red versus blue fight, of course, you right. can't see color. But, like, right. there's definitely two sides. Like, how do they know who they're hitting and who's on what side? It was just, it was really interesting. Yeah, the, the, it seemed like nobody was on Bly's side. There was a couple of throwaway lines about, you know, like, I don't want to mutiny, I don't want to hang. You know, like, that was the price of mutiny was being hanged. But the, the, it did, the, the beatings and the, the floggings were always bad. And then, the more it went on, the more like Clark Gable's character would like speak up more and try to put a stop to things more. And obviously the crew, which was some of them were like criminals, were very fed up and like wanted to kill the captain. But there was only maybe one or two different scenes before the mutiny where the crew was like, I was like, oh, is this about to happen? Like they're grabbing some, you know, this one guy's reaching for his knife. Like it's happening. It's happening. And then it never did. And then there was like one little scene of Clark Gable talking to like the three mutinous criminals uh, about like you know if you you know be ready 
and then it happened. Like, there was no, like, planning. There was no, you know, cloak and dagger. Like, it could have been very suspenseful, but it just kind of happened, which... The you know the happening itself, like you said, was fun, was fun, and I, I I enjoyed that. But it they could have they could have started it about a half an hour earlier and built the tension, and you know what I mean. Like there was some missed opportunities for sure. I think so, and I I don't love Clark Gable in this role. This may be sacrilegious to even say on a podcast about best picture winning movies. I mean, I think Clark Gable is incredible across mm-hmm. his entire career. So he's very good, and he mm-hmm. works in this. But Mutiny on the Bounty is often thought of as a swashbuckling film. It's in that genre. Sure. It's not really... And again, that goes back to, like, the Mutiny only took five to ten minutes. That's the only mm-hmm. swashbuckling part of it. Yes, he has charisma, but he almost has too much charisma. Mm-hmm. He, almost, he almost looks too good to me. To be here. He, he kind of, I needed, or wanted, I should say, a little bit more of a rough around the edges. And I actually read, reading some about his history, the guy was not Clark Gable. The guy was clear, <laughs> what they know of him, and there's no, been no uh, drawn picture of him. Of Fletcher Christian, never, right. Yeah, I read that. But the, the way he's described is definitely not like Clark Gable. So, right. I, I thought that was maybe a little bit of a, a Hollywood up, uptick but it didn't ruin anything for me by far i just i just wasn't quite as high on him as no and he very two. much was kind of like the the knight in shining armor and was like standing up for the crew but when it came time to like be like a swashbuckler and like do that it just didn't really fit, seem to fit he actually auditioned and really wanted to be to do the part of midshipman by him which looking back i've seen that can, I, I can see that because that's more his role. I, I I'm really happy that didn't happen. Franchette Tone uh, knocked it out of the park, but but you can see you, I could see that probably fitting better for Gable. But you know he's a huge name and oh yeah, I mean I'm sure he's he part of the movie. Yeah, oh yeah. The other part that I actually really love is right after the mutiny, and that is the couple of scenes we get of Captain Bly in mm-hmm. the boat, the small mm-hmm. boat, once they're cast off. That, I wrote down in my notes, like in all caps with a bunch of exclamation points, finally some nuance. This guy's yeah. had zero nuance. And that was one of my struggles with the movie as well, is he is portrayed from that opening scene as the clear evil. Like There is no question about it. There's never a moment in the movie where you are able to go... Mm, maybe I could understand his side. He right. really is just so hardcore. And they're finally on the boat, and I wish they would have dug into this more because it's, it's yeah. it only happens here, and then they never deal with it again. Mm. But when he, there's a couple of shots of him, and Charles Lawton is so good. So good. Where he's got a beard, and he is scruffy, and he just, he, you can see a little bit of a softening in the way that he's treating people. Mm-hmm. All the way to the point where they catch this bird, which is, I, I would love to know how. It happens off screen, <laughs> magically, because yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't know how to get it. an or, you know. Basically, you yeah. I mean, it, that's what it kind of looked like they were trying to do. Whatever, but they, they get a bird, and they're all fighting over it, right? Because they're all starving. Uh-huh. And Bly comes in, and he grabs the bird, and he's like, no, this man is sick and dying. Like, he is going to eat first. 
he, mm-hmm. he we need to take care of him. Which the the old man out of left field. This is the same. Like, that is just not Captain Bly yeah. in any shape or form of the guy we've seen. And the only way I could reconcile it in my brain was, well, these are the men that stood by him. So he is at least understanding enough that there is some loyalty he needs to show and that he is not in a position to be able to, like he needs them to get to the end, essentially. Like it's, it's a little bit of softening, but it's also calculated. I think which he has shown himself to be from the very get go. Uh, it's all about getting him where he wants to be. Yeah. Um, I, 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 but I, but I liked that part. I, I loved that part for a couple different reasons. Number one, it brought some humanity to Captain Bly's character to where you saw, you could see that he was um, vulnerable. And those, those, those parts that you're talking about with um, making sure that the older guy that was certainly going to die first, got some food first and he's got that stubble and it's got that, this look on his face, but it also showed that like resoluteness of like, of him being like, I'm going to get to shore no matter what, you know, I might be thousands of miles in a rowboat, but I'm going to go to shore. I'm going to get a ship and I'm going to find captain Fletcher. Like you, you could tell like there was like, I was like, Oh, it's going to go down. Like he's about to go find this guy. But also, I really liked, and this is going back to, you know, the films of the time just weren't being, you know, they relied, coming from silent films, they relied a lot on title cards and, like, different title screens. And this one had a couple different ones that were a little bit more creative in their ways. Like, on the Captain Bly and his ship, they kept going to, like, the journal, and they would, like, journal... It would be like someone writing um, like what was happening like days at a time. And it kind of gave you this passage of time um, that was really gave you an idea of what was going on in the, in the ship. But it also, you know, it wasn't like a stupid title card like and then they did this, you know. Um, really great way of, of doing that. Also, there there was the traditional like adventure action adventure screen of the map and then like the line the black line following the, yeah. the hero's journey i'm wondering if this is where it all started like i've watched the best pictures from the 30s i haven't seen a whole lot of other films from the 30s besides like some hitchcock stuff and i don't i think this might be it this might be the granddaddy of the it of might the that was the a map. That's a really cool realization because you're right. It is such a common thing to see now where either a plane or a ship is right. moving in a line on a map. And mm-hmm. it does it several times. They, you yeah. know, they go down the coast and then, and there's this one little cool part where it like does like a little lightning bolt zigzag. I specifically like, noted, I was like, what is going yeah. on? I, I know. I was like, what's that story of what just took place? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, maybe maybe it was. That's a, a really neat thing. If it if it was, um, I like that as well. I like the the cards. The opening gives us some of that scroll text, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. written in that old English calligraphy style. Mm-hmm. And I just in, enjoyed the couple of times that they did that. They do it again right when Bly is setting out on his mission of vengeance to go catch Christian, which by the way is the part of this movie that is fictionalized the most. Cause that didn't happen. <laughs> he, he, he didn't actually go after him. He was uh, apparently like 
on another mission to go actually get more breadfruit, and he wasn't part right. of the tribunals or any of that kind of stuff. Right. So it's definitely got Hollywood. Man, they were really like obsessed that. with I mean, some I, breadfruit. They were. Well, it, you know, that was see, and those were again some of the nuance is the thing that I like. Mm-hmm. You're rooting for the mutineers, right? Mm-hmm. In a way. Right. I mean, yeah, I feel sure. like we're, we're supposed to be rooting for mutineers. Well, you're empathetic to their situation, for sure. Empath- that's a great way to put it. And then when they take the ship, one of the first things we see, the shot that actually fades out as they're leaving Captain Bly in their wake, is them tossing All the, the breadfruit. Fruit. A thousand breadfruit. Right? And I get it from a, okay, obvi- you know, we, we knew that Captain Bly had said they weren't going to get water because we need to give it to the, the plants. Mm-hmm. But they knew the mission of the ship was to take food to feed slaves who clearly were going to, were people, there wasn't much thinking beyond their own situation in the moment. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that makes sense, but also is a little bit of a tragedy because they were robbing these people that needed food who were very in a very similar situation because they were almost like slaves to Captain Bly on his on his ship mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. They were treated that way, and now they're just chunking this food that's now never... I mean, they were never going to get to them because they just went to the island and chilled and relaxed, yeah. and that's all they thought about was their own freedom of getting free from this guy. And that was, I think, one of the things that makes it a really intriguing story is mm-hmm. because... You can be empathetic to them, but then that's part of mine. Like the sailor in me was when we went to the the um, I keep saying tribunal, but essentially the court martial hearings mm-hmm. and whatever they called it back then, the war council or whatever hearings. Yeah, sure. You know, I was questioning yeah. whether or not there's a little bit of an ethical dilemma on what was the right thing to do, right? And my best friend and I recently covered a few good men on our show and I just watched this, this like literally back to back nights and I was drawing a parallel uh, from a military perspective, even just of how you have a commander who is doing something that hurts people because he feels it is for the bigger cause. It is, it is ultimately the bigger goal is we are going to serve the country and do X, Y, Z and achieve this. And therefore this is how we have to do that in order to, we have to have discipline and it has to be this strict and to the outside eyes, it's immediately off putting and you want to just hate that person. And I'm not saying that Bly is worthy of rooting for, or, you know, I think he should be held accountable should have been held accountable. He should. He's the one right. who should have hung. Oh yeah. But there is also something to be said about questioning the manner in which the crew chose to handle that and deal with it. Like they right. could have. They could have taken the ship. They could have taken him prisoner. Right. Put him in this in the the bottom of the ship, mm-hmm. and they could have sailed their butts onto Tahiti and gotten the breadfruit. Mm-hmm. Or, or whatever they could have not they already had the breadfruit they could have sailed back to england whatever they needed yeah. to do but they could have dealt with it in a more mature way than just we are also going to go awol and right. by doing that they then kind of and unfortunately they take away 
the leeway that they probably would have gotten for doing the mutiny in the first place, you know? And so 100%. I and really I like that. I don't know what's history and what's not, but where I lost some respect for the mutineers was when they decided to, cause that was my thought. I was like, well, they're going to put them in irons. They're going to go back to Britain and then they'll, they'll be like a big, maybe like trial or whatever. But no, like they, they throw everyone that's not with them in this boat and then the people that still aren't with them, they kind of like take hostage on the boat. Then you go back to Tahiti, where the American male gaze is like very prevalent. Like I get it, it's the 1930s, but good lord, like these Tahitian beauties, you know, quote unquote, were like, I mean, some of these looks that Clark Gable was giving was like smoldering. And I was like, come on, dude. Like, you know, and like they're all like, you know, this like these picturesque beautiful girls like running around swimming topless like it's like this whole i was like all right we i get it but this this is so hollywood and i just can't stand it and and then they they go back to tahiti and like you know try to live in like right off into the sunset and i was just like nah nah, i don't really jive with that like y'all you know you you still like you lost part of your honor your honor as like a as a absolutely a navy man you know what i mean well they effectively were fighting back with the same tactics they were they were sending Bly says he's like you're sending us to our deaths right you're putting us out here we are nowhere near and they were they were sending him to his death with the people in the boat with him Mm -hmm. and and it does take some of like you said the the puts a sting on it because you're like well that's not what i want you i don't want you to become him in retaliation but i think that's part of the point right is of the story is that's what happens that's what people that's what human nature is mm-hmm. that's what we have to fight against it's hard to experience oppression and being beat down and not want to fight back with fire i mean we see it to this very day in our communities with racism and people get mad they're like well gosh well why do you want to be so angry about how the police treated your black community well because they were because there's a bligh that's been dealing with them for you know decades and decades and decades so you eventually you can't just be like oh i'm cool with that i'm okay you know let's let's right. just talk about it now it's hard right. to do that it's very hard yeah. and this shows that yeah there's definitely a way out um but they took <clears throat> well not only the coward's way out but they just yeah there was just no accountability and it kind of just left and then it kind of showed which this part that like you were saying is not true how like bligh found land and got back and then took a ship and like sunk that ship like on the rocky reefs looking for uh fletcher christian and his uh bandits i was interested to see i'm gonna go get distracted i'm gonna talk about breadfruit for a hot minute <laughs> i didn't know okay. what, i didn't know what, what is breadfruit, breadfruit? <laughs> no okay i thought it was coconuts <laughs> they were calling breadfruit coconuts like oh maybe in the 1930s they called coconuts breadfruit but it's an actual fruit in like the south pacific and it looks like (laughs) it looks like a cross between a coconut and like uh a grapefruit but it is it's you never eat it raw and you can roast it bake it boil it fry it or you can dry it and ground it into full. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you can uh, dry it and ground it into flour. So that is breadfruit. Interesting. Uh, I had no idea it was the thing, but it's very South Pacific. Does it talk about its 
nutritional value at all? Because I mean, they were no. they were acting like this was some sort of like wonder fruit that was going to be able to feed. I know, and I was, exactly. It doesn't say anything about like it's it like must be bountiful or whatever. Like there's a lot of it, um, but like I don't know. Like America had a lot of like farming and things like that, so I don't know why you know britain and even britain had that too i don't know why britain decided that they would i don't know it was a weird trip for in my head but you know science yeah yeah it's it's uh it's i I didn't know either so i'm glad you looked that up most of my era understanding of the south pacific is literally from south pacific the The musical yeah (laughs) right (laughs) but i but i liked that part i i did you know outside of the obvious male gaze that you pointed out. I liked that the chief took a liking to buy him and his mm-hmm. more educational viewpoint. And, and all, by all seeming standards, by was a man of integrity and someone who had strong values. And so I think the chief picked up on that right away, you know, and he was like, yeah, come. And I loved their conversations about the, language of looks versus the language of words and how yes, he needed yeah. to be able to understand that. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I kind of enjoyed the little bit of time we got on Tahiti mm-hmm. from that perspective. Uh, yeah, it's, it is a really interesting ending though, with them going after them, obviously Bly wrecking the ship, <laughs> right. almost probably killing other people in the process of that. Most certainly. And that that's one of the parts where, I also think the Hollywood nature of it kind of drags it down slightly just because I, I don't need historical accuracy. Historical accuracy is that like he wasn't that bad mm-hmm. by any means. I'm like, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page and he didn't do most of the things that are in this movie <laughs> that he is depicted yeah. as doing. And in fact, one of the things says that the bounty has a meticulous log and then it revealed that the flogging rate was actually lower than average for the time. He didn't keel haul somebody. He didn't put people in irons, which is what what uh, crew members in irons, which is what triggered the ultimate decision by Christian to finally right. mutiny. It, there's a lot more questioning I have about in reality was there ever a reason to truly mutiny? Did they or right. was this just a guy who didn't like his captain? Or a guy who fell in love with a girl in Tahiti and wanted to go back. And just wanted to go back, yeah. And so it's just, yeah. it's really embellished to the point yeah. where Bly becomes this all-time cinematic villain. And he really is. I mean, he is one of the most oh, yeah. awful people you will ever see in a movie. <laughs> and what a what a wonderful performance. Going back to... What what was that thing where they throw the guy they like they tie the guy up and throw him overboard and then like haul that's it back the keel haul keel hauling yeah, yeah. keel hauling so like every movie I'm thinking of like Lord of the Rings when um, uh, Ian Holm as Bilbo like flashes his teeth and it's like oh god like like this moment of like horror that you're not really expecting when they keel haul that guy and then they do like the underwater shot of the guy getting keel hauled underwater. Like, that was messed up for, like, 1935. I was like, oh, dang, like, he's dead. Like, that was that was pretty brutal for, like, any standards. Like, even today's standards. It would probably be look better, but, I mean, yeah, that, was, that was brutal. That was gonna, that's going to stick with me. Yeah, well, that's part of the one thing that is just hard for me in the end is knowing, I mean, this man literally killed people. Like, yeah. 
murdered people (laughs) in the name of punishment several times before they even left port. And yet he doesn't suffer. The only thing he gets is someone saying, I've basically lost respect for you. Yeah. Are you, are you, I mean, that's a little bit unrealistic to me. What's crazy is we're first in our first introduction to Captain Bly doing a captainly duty is when he flogs the guy that's already like been held cap that's been like whatever already like a prisoner and they're like wait he's dead and he's like well it doesn't matter like he still needs his flogging and like that's how we're gonna introduce the Bly and like in my head I'm like well I know eventually there's gonna be a mutiny <laughs> what more does this guy have to do and like good god did they show us what more he had to do yeah I mean I think you you always root for like you said there's empathy for and you 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 really understand they have to get rid of bly like bly has to be taken out of power Mm. it's just a matter of how you do it and why you do it and what does it cost and i guess you know the history tells us that eventually christian well it talks about it in the movie i think there's one of the title cards that talks about his death as well i can't remember if they did that or not but he ends up dying within a few years on the Pitcairn Islands where they end up landing. I don't remember if the film mm-hmm. deals with this or not. I don't I think that said that in the film. I don't think so. Well, that's actually, as far as we know, historically accurate. He and his wife and his former crew members that were part of the mutiny that were with him, and then also some of the Tahitian uh, Islanders, they all end up on this Pitcairn Island. And over time there are multiple fights that break out between the Tahitians uh, because they're stranded there and they're not happy about it. And like, the mutineers, the they eventually all die. Like they kill them all off yeah. essentially. Like I think, I think Fletcher has a couple of kids over that time mm-hmm. so that they showed us one of them, but ultimately yeah. they say that they're pretty sure he was murdered. Um, right. On the Island. Well, kind of serves so, right. <laughs> It kind of like, catches up with you, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, you were talking about A Few Good Men. This this could have been, and I, I know there's several remakes. There's a Marlon Brando remake. Um, there's a I want to watch Gibson that. One. Yeah. I want to watch the Brando one. That well, looks Brando one is the more, one I've got my eye on. It looks a little bit more of, like, a direct remake, whereas The Bounty with uh, Anthony Hopkins and Mel Gibson. Yep. Um, I don't know if that's as true to this to this film the the 1935 film it's i think it came before apocalypse now as well because it was in the mm-hmm. 60s i want to say yeah it was in the but, early 60s i think like 63 can you think of a more like knowing what we know talk about a yeah. prescient casting for this oh. guy, I, I don't know if there was anybody in film history my brain wouldn't go to before marlon brando to to yeah play this character after Charles Lawton. So I'm really fascinated to see what he does with it. Wait, I'm pretty sure... No, Marlon Brando plays Fletcher Christian. Oh, that sucks. I, <laughs> I, need, I, need, another, I need a different remake, because I guess he was Howard, too young. Trevor Howard plays Captain plays Captain Black. Okay, Trevor well, Howard from, like, I guess, uh, oh. The Third Man and um, I know, Gandhi and things like that. Well, yeah. Gummit, I imagine, Harris, like, Late seventies. What? Oh, Richard Harris. Richard Harris is in it too, and I was like, "Oh man, I'm sold." I, I yeah. do want to watch that one. Check that out. Yeah. Have to compare and contrast. 
And I guess Rando probably wasn't old enough. He hadn't hit his villain stage yet. But I just, yeah, I'm imagining. I'm a looking <laughs> such a Christian guy. Yeah, I'm imagining Colonel Kurtz as Bly and like right. those characters line up. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he would have killed it. They should have remade it again thirty years later. <laughs> yeah, they should have Bly. Yeah. <laughs> he would do it, done it. He needed money. But uh, back to what I was saying about the parallels between A Few Good Men is that it could have kind of devolved into like a pretty compelling courtroom drama if they would have brought him back and there would have been like this kind of gray area of like what they did was right for the setting but also it was wrong because it was against the law and it was you know like the highest order of you know wrongness especially in the navy and there could have been this really cool you know gray area was it right or wrong kind of examination but you know they had to hollywood it and go to tahiti and um we got what we got it was still good i mean overall i enjoyed it for a movie from 1935 black and white i was pretty captivated most of the time did not you know i did not get distracted uh i don't think at all it was in the acting from the three leads are pretty outstanding for the period um I really liked it. I, it's like a solid three and a half, four stars for me. Yeah, same. I mean, it, it's uh, you know, I I don't do halves, and I I gave it a four. For me, that's a uh, something that really stands out, and I'm mm-hmm. getting even more and more stingy on them. But it it right. definitely stands the test of time. When I've seen other classic films, like it feels to me like a movie that should have been nominated for best picture, and I cannot mm-hmm. say that about all of them. So, oh yeah, especially some of these earlier ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. And like I said before, this or we talked about it was nominated. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards. Um, it won Best Picture, and that is it. And the three leads were all nominated for leading actor. The first and only time that will ever happen be- because of this movie, they introduced the following year actor in a supporting role. So that wow. this nice. wouldn't happen again. Okay, so, so who would you have cast, like, or who would you have campaigned? That's a big deal. Like, where I would which have campaigned win- Lawton for supporting because I feel like Fletcher and uh, Byam were more the leading the leading men, but I would have campaigned hard for Byam because he has the better arc and he has the better like end of the film kind of send off as opposed to Fletcher Christian. Interesting. I, I would have campaigned Lawton as main as best actor and mm. the other two as supporting. And I would have voted in a heartbeat for both Lawton and by because I think they're yeah. both outstanding in those individual roles that's really fascinating though that this essentially yeah when i saw that there were three and i thought i was reading it wrong because it said best mm-hmm. actor best actor best actor and i was like wait mm-hmm. huh that can't that's yeah. not right i'm curious honestly what beat this in like the technical category it makes me wonder i kind of want to seek out if there's something to beat this in like production design or sound yeah. like- so there was a movie called the informer that year um, it was uh, directed by John Ford. He won Best Director. Oh, he won over well. Frank Lloyd. Um, and then 
the lead actor of the informer, Victor uh, McLaughlin, he won best actor. Okay. And then um, best writing for screenplay, the informer won that. Um, the informer was like coming in hard. Um, this was also nominated for, I think, sound recording. No, it wasn't. It was nominated for film editing, and that lost to A Midsummer's Night's Dream. Okay. Um, it was nominated Best Score, also by The Informer, won that. Um, they also had, um, it wasn't nominated, but they had an assistant director award for the longest time, which I think is interesting. Um, I'm not going to go through this whole thing, but but basically The Informer kind of came through and like undercut basically everything except for Best Picture, which which went to this, this is the only one. I feel like I need to see The Informer then. Because that it makes I know. me very curious about it. I put it on my list because I'd never heard of it. Um, yeah. As I always go through with this, the other nominated films that year, there were in this year, it was uh, the films Alice Adams, uh, The Broadway Melody of 1936, uh, which is a remake of The Broadway Melody, which won Best Picture um, in... Um, it won Best Picture in 1929. Uh, Wait, they, they remade, remade a movie seven years later, and okay, it was we not got a, best picture. So this this has been happening literally since cinematic history. We talk since, crap about it all the time, but it is n- from the start. Hollywood has always run out of ideas, and the Broadway Melody of 1936 uh, is that's literally what it's called, the Broadway Melody of 1936. Uh, Captain Blood was also this year. David Copperfield, I uh, talked about the Informer. Um, the first incarnation of Les Miserables, um, The Lives of Bengal Lancer, Naughty Marietta, Ruggles of Red, and a film called Top Hat all round out the nominations for Best yeah. Picture that year. Top Hat's very beloved. Captain Blood is fantastic. That's actually swashbuckling. I love Captain Blood. Is that Errol Flynn? I don't... They might have been. There's two that I gravitate toward uh, there's Captain Blood and the Seahawker that I, I find to be very similar. It might have been Errol Flynn. I know it's Curtiz, the guy, uh, Michael Curtiz, who directed Casablanca. Uh-huh. It is it is Errol Flynn, yeah. It's Errol okay. Flynn and Olivia de Havilland. Okay. And cool. she yeah, is... I... Boy. Yeah. Oh, man, those starlets Knock of like the out. 30s, yeah, they're they're legit starlets for sure. Um, I cover everything that I want to cover. Is there anything you want to talk about? Anything you want to cover? No, I don't. I don't think so. I can say, I, as a sailor myself, like I, I wouldn't have wanted to be a sailor in this era. Like I, that just no, it's no it's such a. Anytime I watch, even like Pirates of the Caribbean, fake representations mm-hmm. of sure. this era, it's crazy. <laughs> like I just pretty brutal. Yeah, it is brutal. It is not a good and healthy life. And no, this is the Wild West. It is. It really is. No, I love All right, it. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope you follow along. Uh, engage on social media. I'll be back with another episode with Asheville, uh, North Carolina film critic Jim Rosario, uh, as we're going to cover the next two Best Picture winners, The Great Zeigfeld and The Life of Emil Zola. So if you want to watch those, 
follow along and be ready for the next episodes. You can find those there. You can rent them on Amazon for a couple of a couple of bucks. You can find this show on Twitter. Winner was pod. You can find us on Facebook and the winner was podcast. I'm on Letterboxd, Joel Winstead. You can find me over there. You can email the show at winnerwaspodcast at gmail.com with your questions and comments. Um, and as always, my guests will take anything negative that you have to say. Where can we find your work, Aaron? I'm pretty much at vlinfilm.com is the main spot. You can find all of our episodes there, links to them. You can find Feel and Film Podcast in any podcast catcher you may use spotify apple wherever it's there we've been going on for a while and i do one weekly episode with my best friend patrick that's where the show started about six and a half years ago and we just do a deep dive into a movie that's complete spoilery just we like talk through what we loved about it and what we what we thought and then i also do weekly kind of very brief 30 minute or less new release review episodes that are just myself um, doing spoiler-free takes on things I have the opportunity to screen in advance. And then I do a lot of side stuff, too. Games, and we're covering Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, and I try to do as many interviews as I can, and I'm probably a little too prolific for my own good. So all the content's out there. You can find me on Twitter and everywhere under Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. That's my username for everything. I mean, you can use it to... Friend me on PlayStation if you want, or Letterboxd, that same <laughs> username. So you can find me. You are everywhere. And I will say, if you haven't, check out the podcast. One of the earliest uh, film podcasts that I started listening to and uh, a huge motivation for me to get this up and off the ground. Uh, man, Aaron, they can't thank you enough. Until next time, everybody, thanks for listening.